got my, I got my bony finger of indignation out. Um, just, just for a moment, though, as I was putting a piece of tape down the middle of the sanctuary this morning and people were going, oh, he's going to divide us all up. No, I'm not going to do that. What I want to talk about is what we've been talking about with Abraham is about the line of Messiah and what goes on with, with how do you get, how do the Old Testament people get in the line of Messiah? Is it an accident of birth? Or, or is it because they've been modified and changed? See, and I, I just want to talk to you just a little bit about this because I think Abraham is held up almost universally in all the commentaries as this incredible paradigm of faith. And he is at the end of his life. But at the beginning of his life, as I said, oh, probably two months ago when we started talking about Abraham, he looked pretty much like everybody else. He wasn't that paradigm. But, but he became that through a life of, of being changed in relationship with God. He became the father of faith or the beginning of the line that the Bible tracks, not because God's playing favorites with Abraham and his family, but because Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. That's what they're waiting for. Messiah is coming. And in order to be sort of documented in the line of Messiah, you need to be somebody that's been changed. Now, there are lots of people in the line from Abraham before Jesus comes that are not named in the book. Is that true? Lots of them not named. Many of those names you wouldn't know. One of them came up in a conversation with Re the other day in Zechariah. Zerubbabel. Is that a name you know? Zerubbabel is called the signet ring of the Lord at that time. But what he is, is he's, he's a reminder when they come back from Babylon, Zerubbabel is in the line of David, and God is returning, and, there's, and he anoints prophets for the time, high priests for the time, and he brings back the Davidic line so that they know he is with them. Right? It's not just go fix the walls, Nehemiah. It's go fix the walls because I'm with you. And that's quite a different thought. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be in the line of Messiah and how we get there. I'm going to read, read just a little bit of text this morning, and then we'll talk about it, okay? I want, uh, yeah, let's just do this. Soon after these things, that's the, uh, the binding of Isaac and the replacement of the sacrifice with the lamb. Soon after these things, Abraham heard that Milcah, his brother Nahor's wife, had borne Nahor eight sons. The oldest was named Uz. The next was Buzz, or Booz, depending on how you pronounce that, followed by Kemeu, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlath, and Bethuel. Bethuel, sorry. 
Look, just pretend you know what you're doing and go. That's the way you do. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Now, why is Rebekah mentioned here? Because we don't know anything about Rebekah yet. This is her introduction. And I need to tell you something, that Abraham's entire journey at this point, as far as we can tell, has been about him and God. Him and God. But the next thing that happens here is Rebecca's introduced, and then, as we go down here, Nahor had four children, his concubine Remuah, their names were Teba, Gamma, Tahash, and Maaka. When Sarah was 127 years old, she died at Kirith Arba, now called Hebron, in the land of Canaan, where Abraham mourned and wept for her. So we're at the end of the line for Abraham, and finally, Abraham's story is going to become about somebody other than him. Get my bony finger of indignation out. Look, if you've come to Christ and your story is just about you, you have missed the point. Okay? Pointing at me. If my story about me and Jesus is just about me, then I have missed the point of the story. Do you understand what I'm saying? That Jesus really does love you. We sang that to the kids. Jesus loves you. This I know for the Bible tells us so. Yes, and he does love you. And that is part of the gospel. Part of the gospel. Now, it's very modern right now to say, no, that's the whole gospel. But every time Jesus does something like that, even in John 8 with the woman caught in adultery, he says, where are your accusers? And she says, no, none of them stayed. And he goes, then neither do I go and sin no more. So the other half of the gospel is this call to be different, to get in on the line of Messiah for us. So Abraham had to be called to be different from his populace and stand in the line of Messiah. Right, right through the altar it goes. But how do we get on that line of Messiah? Now, initially, we get on that line saying, he rescued me. He loves me. He knows, and I said this in my youth, in my in my Sunday school class this morning, he knows exactly what kind of idiot I am. Point using my bony finger of indignation and pointing at me. He knows exactly what kind of idiot I am, and when I call out to help, as, as Joanne read this morning, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that is the affirmation, Jesus loves you. But that love is not aimed just at you. It is, it is for you, but it is for you to share with those around you. And if your story is only about you for most of your life, then you have missed the boat about what being on the line of Messiah is. Abraham finds this out at the end. He's doing this thing. So, now, there's another piece of this puzzle I need to talk to you about a little bit, that Abraham's been promised lots of things most of his life, and one of those things that he was promised was the land. 
And, and I want you to say that that's very spiritual. No, it's very physical. Land is physical. You stand on land. When Sarah was 127 years old, in the land of Canaan, Abraham mourned and wept for her. And then leaving her body, he said to the Hittite leaders near him in Abram, Here I am, a stranger and a foreigner among you. Please sell me a piece of land so I can give my wife a proper burial. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Listen, my lord, you are an honored prince among us. Right? They recognize he's wealthy and powerful, and they're starting to see that he's been blessed. Choose the finest of our tombs and bury her there. No one here will refuse to help you in this way. Then Abraham bowed low before the Hittites and said, Since you are willing to help me in this way, be so kind as to ask Ephron, son of Zohar, to let me buy his cave at Machpelah, down at the end of his field. I will pay the full price in the presence of witnesses so that I will have a permanent burial place for my family. <coughs> Ephron was sitting there among the others, and he answered Abraham and said, to the, as the others listened and speaking publicly before all of them, No, my lord, please listen to me. I'll give you the field and the cave. Here in the presence of my people, I give it to you. Go and bury your dead. Abraham again bowed low before the citizens, and he replied, No, listen, I'll buy it. Let me pay full price for the field so I can bury my dead there. And Ephron answered, my lord, listen, it's worth 400 pieces of silver. But what is that between friends? Go and bury your dead. So Abraham agreed and paid the full price. The 400 pieces of silver weighed according to the market standard, and the Hittite elders witnessed the transaction. And Abraham bought the plot. Now this is the first real piece of land in the promised land that Abraham gets. But it's at the very end of his life. So he's lived his whole life, had his kid, his wife is gone, and, and the very first piece of the promised land he gets is for the burial of his wife. He spent most of his time thinking about him, or he and his wife, and about the son that was promised and the land that was promised. Have you ever sort of experienced this sort of waiting in your life where God is supposed to be healing you, but maybe it's not happening? How do you hold on to faith in God when it takes so long? It's not visible. It takes so long, doesn't it? I used to do some marriage counseling, and I remember this one woman. I still do some marriage counseling. But, um, this one woman was her. She was hoping her her husband had come to Christ, and she was hoping for change so that she could so it could be bearable. And he was changing, but not fast enough. For her. When, when, when the change is not fast enough, when God's promises take so long, how do you hold on to faith? 
So there's two things in this text that I need to talk to you about, right? How do you, how do you remember that Jesus loves you, but the love is for you, but not aimed only at you, that you're not the final receptacle, right? Fill my cup, Lord. And you keep saying, fill my cup, but you don't ever pour it out to anybody else. And how do you then make it through the, pro through the process when you're wondering, how long do I have to wait, O oh Lord? Do you understand, see, those both, see both those things? In the text, they're right here beside each other. What I want to say to you is this. Find it. I'm going to read, read another text here. This is the call of Abraham from Genesis 12. This is the beginning. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. Okay, that's the first thing. I will bless you. Second thing, I will make you, you will be a blessing to others, and I will bless those, the third thing, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, and the fourth thing, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Look, even at the very beginning when he talked to Abraham, it was never just about Abraham, it was always about this line, the Messiah, and the love he has for you going to you, changing you, so that the world could be different through you. Are we focused too much on will God bless me? What has God done for me recently? Are we too focused on that? We're so focused, and by the way, it's not just this church, it's North American, modern 21st century Christianity is so focused on, Jesus loves me just exactly as I am. Yes, he does. Go and sin no more. Don't transgress those lines anymore. Right? Don't cross, don't break other people's boundaries that way but love them and be a blessing to them because when God blesses you, it's for you, but he's also doing it so that you will be a blessing to others and that then they will be blessed through you and then the world will be blessed. Do you see that it's always this way? My question is, is when you look at Abraham and all the problems that he had and all the things he did, because by the way, this paradigm of faith that the Bible has for us kept saying over and over again, she's my sister. She's my sister. Don't hurt me. She's my sister. And the promise of the child was going to come through her, but he kept giving her away to other people's harems. I just want you to be aware of that, right? That if we keep focusing only on what God's doing for us, 
We get on the line of Messiah, but we're not moving on the line hardly at all. Right? Do you, do you understand what it is? We, we're up here doing this tightrope walk, trying to be on Messiah's line, when Messiah's line says, you be changed so the world can be blessed. I'm, I'm in charge of your change. I'm also in charge of them, but I want you to touch them. But, but he's taking so long to fill the promises. He's taking so long. He told me, like if I were Peter, he told me I was going to be a fisher of men. But fill my cup. Take care of me. It took Abraham most of his life to start focusing on, on Isaac and what Isaac, what the next generation was going to be doing. And, and right at the end of his life, he's going to go get him. Next week, we're going to talk about him getting Rebecca as a bride. But she's just entered the radar right at the end of Abraham's life. The next generation didn't really enter his radar until the very end. We are not supposed to be that way. That's why I brought the bony finger of indignation up. We are not supposed to be focused on just us and what has God done for me lately. We're supposed to be changed and be changing. And when we're all focused on us, of course he takes so long. I, I, I want to say this. Why are God's promises so slow coming to me? Because I'm spending all my time focused on what he's doing for me and not what I'm supposed to be doing for him. And he's going, well, I had that stuff for you, but I can't get you off the, the go button. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I can't get you off the go button. And so, of course, you're at the starting line because you're still at the go button. I bless you. I change your life. Go. I, I don't want to finish the race that way. I don't want to finish the race going, well, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. That is absolutely true, but he does call me into a deeper, changed life that is focused on somebody else. And by the way, that's the model that he had. That's what Philippians 2 is talking about when Philippians 2 says, Jesus didn't think equality with God was something to be clung to but instead emptied himself and having the form of God emptied himself and came in the form of a slave to serve. That's what's going on within that text. Him focused on somebody else. He didn't think he should be in charge just to be in charge. He didn't think being God was something that that he should hold on to and go, but I'm God, I shouldn't have to do that. Instead, he did it. 
and he served. We are to live like little Christs in our world because he's alive in us and we're not supposed to just stand on the line and go, look, I'm in the line of Messiah. We're supposed to get on that line and start moving and blessing the world so that Messiah can be seen, that the work of Jesus in our hearts can be seen. And that's going to take us to stop focusing on ourselves a little bit, but on the needs of others. And so this morning, I'm going to close with this thing. Now, I know that maybe ambulatory stuff might be a problem, but I would like to give you a chance to move and stand on the line of Messiah for a second. Would you be willing to do that? If you're willing to, I want you to recognize that you're in the line of Messiah now. Abraham was on that side of Messiah, and we're on this side of Messiah, but we're still in the line. And we don't get to point fingers like going, wow, Abraham didn't deserve to be on the line of Messiah. He was wonky. But I don't get to say to people on this side of Messiah, oh man, you don't get to be on this line of Messiah. You're not right. He chose us, and he pours his love out on us. So if you would move... Well, I do the prayer. I'll pray after everybody who wants to. If you don't want to, it's fine. But if you would like to make a statement of faith saying, I'm on the line of Messiah. I'm in the line of Messiah. Would you like to do that? You come, and then I'm going to pray over us. If, if there's not enough room, there's more room, but there's more line up here. There's more line. And if you could just get your toe on it, that's what I'll do. I'm just going to get my toe on it here. Is there enough room? It goes out the room. Put both feet on, George. You can't? You can't be on one foot. Okay. Look, I know it's a statement of faith, and it's an action with your body. I'm doing that on purpose. I want your body to act for God somehow today. And the first thing you did was you got up and said, I'm his. And you did that by standing on his line. Lord God, today we ask specifically that we would not just be focused on what you've done for us, but what we can do for you. That what, whether it's the next generation or the next person we meet or the next person that you bring into our frame of reference, that we would be focused on how we might bless them with the blessing that you gave us. That might not mean that we share the whole story of our lives at that moment, but that we serve and bless them. Move in us that we might do that and not be focused only on ourselves. In your precious name, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you.